Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. It's by your spirit, Lord, that you are helping us. You draw us close by your spirit. Lord, I just pray as we go into this passage in Romans 13 that you would infuse this with your heart. We want to know your heart more. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Or as Danielle, Danielle said, how, how y'all doing? I love that. Yeah, tonight the message is out of Romans 13. And uh, I've entitled it, A Debt Called Love. And um, a guy called John Wimber, he was uh, the leader of a vineyard called the Vineyard Movement. How many have heard of the Vineyard Movement in this place? Yeah, many of us. So they were, they were pioneers in music, started in 1977, and these guys just started writing heartfelt songs, much like we sang tonight, just honest, real, passionate songs, and their songs just took off around the world and um, spread like wildfire. So these worship leaders that were writing these amazing songs all of a sudden encountered um, fame, unexpected fame unexpected financial blessing, like a lot of money. And uh, John Wimber, the leader of this movement, he, he gathered them for a, for a gathering and he said, people, okay, things are going well, but I need you all to remember three things, okay? And these three things tonight tie into Romans 13 perfectly, okay? You ready for these three things that he said to these worship leaders? You all ready? Yeah. All right, he said, love your spouse, and I know not all of us are married in here, but pay your taxes, amen, and keep your zipper up. Those three things have tripped up more ministers than you could imagine. And this is real talk, friends. And uh, this is how we can sum up this entire chapter of Romans 13. You all with me? All right. So before we read from this text, we must remember that our scriptures didn't originally have numbers and chapters attached to them. So Romans 13 is a continuation of what was being said in Romans 12. So context is so important here, okay? So what did the end of Romans 12 say? Let's go and review this, okay? In verse 14, it says, Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. That's hard to do sometimes. Don't be the great somebody. Verse 17, it says, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Okay? So this is important as we go into the beginning of Romans 13, that God is doing the judging, not us. And the argument can be made that God uses government, which we're going to go into, which Paul continues to write about at the beginning of chapter 13. Okay? Just bear with me here. One more, two more scriptures at the end of chapter 12. Verses 20 and 21. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry... Go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. 
get the best of evil by doing good. Amen? All right, so what did Roman culture look like at this time where Paul was writing? Who were the enemies? During this time, the Roman government would actually kill you if they weren't happy with you. Think about that. We're supposed to love these people? It was an extraordinarily violent culture filled with terrorism, and Paul's writing these words. So you're saying, Michael, you want me to love someone who could potentially kill me? This is what Paul is saying here. It's very clear. Okay, so you ready to go into Romans 13? All right, here we go. So Romans 13, verses 1 to 3, okay? says, be a good citizen. All governments are under God insofar as there is peace and order. It's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Okay, two more verses. We're going to skip ahead to six. That's also why you pay taxes, so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes, pay your bills, respect your leaders. Okay, so how do we love or respect our government? How do we pay this debt called love to our government? Are we blindly to follow governmental authority? What about Nazi Germany? What about Hitler, North Korea? These are real questions. What does this mean? Were those Christians who rose up against the tyranny in Nazi Germany in doctrinal error? We must remember that obeying and honoring God always comes first. Amen? We cannot serve two kingdoms as Christ followers. In Acts 29, verses 27 and 28, it says this. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders again, never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, listen to this, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So you feel the tension here? Acts 4, 18 and 19 says this. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied again, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. So let's live in this tension for a little bit. Is that okay? We as Christ followers, friends, cannot serve two masters. We know that Jesus is Lord, period. And when we say yes to following Jesus, we are saying yes to our heavenly citizenship and to the kingdom of heaven. Today, there are Christ followers around the world and in Calgary even who haven't quite come to this conclusion yet as they are obsessed with the politics of a nation and without even knowing it, have put their trust in an earthly nation rather than their trust in God. So this may be surprising to some, but guess what? Jesus wasn't motivated or seemingly even concerned at all about earthly politics in his day. This is the one we follow, Jesus. So Tim Keller, I have a lot of respect for this guy. He says, regarding preachers and their politics. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? The longer it takes people to figure out where we stand on political parties, in all likelihood, the more faithfully we're preaching Jesus. 
Scott Sauls says this, but when it comes to politics, the Bible gives us no reason to believe Jesus would side completely with another political viewpoint over another. Rather, when it comes to kings and kingdoms, Jesus sides with himself. Isn't that amazing? So how do we reconcile Paul's declaration that all governments are what the NIV version says established by God? The word established here in the Greek is tasso, T-A-S-S-O, which means to establish, order, or file, sometimes translated to orchestrate, okay? So God is orchestrating government. So some of you know that before I came on staff here in 2010 at First Assembly in Tehillah, I traveled um, around the world five years doing uh, worship leading full-time and Sometimes I'd be given the opportunity to bring a band that I knew really well with me and that I was really comfortable with. And other times I'd show up at an event and they're like, okay, here's the band. And we start rehearsal. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, please help me here. Like, not very good musicians, okay? So what I had to do by the grace of God would kind of orchestrate the set list and the songs depending on the ability of the band, okay? So this is kind of, stay with me here. So this is, this is kind of the picture that God, does, that he uses with government, okay? He orchestrates governments, okay? He's not always endorsing every decision that governments make, but he's using them for his glory. And if we remember at the end of Romans 12, he's the one that does the judging. And some scholars are now saying that God uses government to even establish judgments upon the earth today. Which is, which is pretty mind-boggling, in my opinion. So, this is a picture of how God orchestrates government for his good. God works with what is in place, and he will always use what is broken, lost, and hurting to maximize the greater good. Amen? He is establishing his goodness and justice within a broken, worldly, governmental system. He's using what he's got. The imperfections. We've got a great government here in Canada, I'm telling you, but other nations around the world, it's messed up, like big time. And God's using that. So, okay, so let's ask ourselves this question, okay? It's so funny that I got Romans 13 to preach on because as some of my close friends know, I am just not a political person. But I'm, I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying diving into this. So can we live as responsible citizens in Canada, loving our government? Absolutely we can, Okay. We should be the reflection of Christ in our city and nation. Faith, hope, and love should radiate from our lives as fear, cynicism, and judgment, the very opposite of faith, hope, and love, are shown the door in Jesus' name. Amen? So, do we ignore government? No, this isn't an anarchist-type message. We don't ignore government at all. Not at all. We are called to pray for our leaders pay our taxes, and be responsible citizens. And some of my friends are even called to influence politics, which I think is noble. And if that's you, then we need to get behind you in prayer because you're going into um, you know, a dark place at times. Amen? So we do it in a spirit of love. So 1 Timothy 2 says this, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 3. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our busyness of living simply in humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. All right. 
Okay, so we're going to go now to verses 8 to 10, all right? Don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love that you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. The law code. Don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And any other don't you can think of. Finally, adds adds up to this. Okay, you ready? Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. Okay? What does the sum total of love look like? So in Galatians 2... Paul takes a trip down to Jerusalem to hang out with Peter, James, and John, basically to get endorsement of his ministry, okay? Paul is getting endorsement from Peter, James, and John. That's so crazy to me to think about. Um, it'd be like the, the, the equivalent of today getting credentials with, with Peter, James, and John as a minister, and Paul's like, man, I hope they credential me, and meanwhile, he's writing most of the New Testament. It's unbelievable. So, 14, so it says this in Galatians 2, verses 1 to 2, Okay? I know it's a lot of scripture tonight, but we're in teaching mode and just try to stay focused with this, okay? 14 years later, I returned to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas and Titus, my co-workers. God had given me a clear revelation to go and confer with the other apostles concerning the message of grace I was preaching to the non-Jewish people. I spoke privately with those who were viewed as senior leaders of the church, I wanted to make certain that my labor and ministry for the Messiah had not been based on false understanding of the gospel. Paul wanted to make sure that he was in, you know, in, not in doctrinal error. I think that's amazing. So cool. So verses 9 and 10, it says, When they all recognized this grace operating in my ministry, so they said, yep, Paul, you're good to go. James, Peter, and John, the esteemed followers of Jesus, extended to me the warmth of Christian fellowship and honored my calling to minister to the non-Jewish people. They simply requested one thing that I would, okay? One thing. This is what the sum total of love looks like, okay? Think about this. What, what is the one thing they could have highlighted for a church minister? Just think about that for a second. How many things do we do in the Canadian church? I mean, we've got worship, We've got preaching, we've got teaching, we've got so many different ministries and we've got, you know, we're trying to write songs and you have these buildings and these are all good things. Peter, James and John, uh, they weren't saying that those are bad things, but they said one thing. Okay, you ready for this, Tehillah? The one thing, the sum total of love, it adds up to this. Okay, three words. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. They could have said anything at that moment, but they said, remember the poor. This is how it's all added up to. So this is what paying a debt called loves look like, looks like. The entire law is summed up into two basic command, commandments to Christ's followers. Love God, love your neighbor. And it may sound simple, yet it is a massive undertaking to live a life like this. Anyone heard of Mumford and Sons here? Yeah, I love the Mumford and Sons. And they're actually, um, speaking of Vineyard, um, the lead singer, Marcus Mumford, is that his name? 
His, his parents are the leader of the Vineyard Church in England. Fun fact. Um, but there's a song called Awake My Soul. And I love this line. It says, in these bodies we will live. In these bodies we will, we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. This is the sum total of love. And David Ruiz, another vineyard worship leader, he also encourages us not just to give money towards the poor, but also to get to know the poor by name, living your life with them. Our lives invested or just our wallets? It's a question I've been asking myself recently. And some of us here tonight might be in a season of waiting for dreams to come true, for revival to begin to see our prayers get off the ground, as Eugene Peterson puts it. And I remember a time in my life when I was in this waiting time, so to speak. I had all these prophetic words about music and songwriting and traveling around the world. And these, my wife Jenny's here tonight, by the way. So she remembers this tonight. That's Jenny right here. Put your hand up. Yeah. (laughs) So Jenny and I, we were married, I think six years. And, um, the Lord asked us to resign our position at a church in Langley called Christian Life Assembly. And we had Emma. She was, I think she's here somewhere. Yeah, there's Emma. She was, she was four years old, okay? And we had another baby on the way and mortgage payment. And the Lord says, resign your job at your church, okay? So, by the way, I don't recommend doing this until you, unless you really hear the Lord, Okay. Just a disclaimer, Pastor Michael told me to quit my job. No, I did not. Um, Although the Lord could. So we're in this time and we felt like the Lord said, resign. And I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do? Like, okay, here, now the prophetic words are going to come to pass. I get to travel. Yes, stadiums, you know, all these words. And and, um, the Lord just simply said this to my heart. I felt like he said, He said, Michael, this is your new job description, and this is the job I want you to do. Go into your bedroom, take your keyboard, and or not necessarily the bedroom, but a room in the house, and just worship me as my full-time worship leader. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, Jenny, so what do you think, babe? Like, and she's like, wow, okay, like, um, so I married one of those musicians. No, actually, she was just like, yeah, we're here in the Lord. Let's go for it, okay? So during these three months, I just I, I set up this keyboard in a laundry room in our little townhouse. Talk about prophetic, laundry, washing my heart. And of all the, this pride and nonsense in my heart. And, and um, it was in this time, too, where I came upon a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, okay? And some of us are are familiar with this passage, but this chapter absolutely destroyed me. And um, it says this, okay? Isaiah 58 says this. Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship And love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. 
but they also complain. Okay, this is where I was at now. I was complaining, God, where are these prophetic words? What's, what, where, why aren't my dreams coming true? He says, he says this, okay? He says, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Verse three, the Lord says this. Well, here's why, Michael. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground, okay? So now we're going to skip to verse six and nine, okay? Anybody here want to get their prayers off the ground? Okay, listen to this. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, God's saying, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families, loving your spouse. Remember John Wimber said, love your spouse. This is part of it. Do this and listen to this. And the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then, when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. So I read this and I'm like, I'm like, I, I grew up in the church, you know, like Pentecostal kid, dad is a pastor. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, what was I? 26 years old, 20, something like that. I've read this passage before many times, probably throughout the years. And it just hit me like a punch to the side of the head. And I'm like, babe, I've missed it here. Like I need to get with the poor. And you guys know Joyce Reese, Epic Vineyard. She's preached here many times. And I just got around Joyce and, and we were, you know, downtown east side, Vancouver, just a, you know, a, a place that needs the light of Jesus. So I'm, I'm hanging out down there for a while and all of a sudden, boom, my prayers are getting off the ground like this. It was amazing. Like dream after dream after dream. And it was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I missed it. Like God, I am sorry that I haven't married my worship leading with remembering the poor. Forgive me. Help me never to do that again. Help me put myself aside, like that song says. I'm telling you guys, remember the poor. If you can take anything out of Romans 13, it's remember the poor. Remember the poor. Live a life of love. Pay pay this debt called love. Amen? So are your dreams God-birthed? We must be careful what we ask for as God will at times give in to our repeated requests, okay? Even though they are not his dreams for us, sometimes he'll just give them to us. And I love what Carl Lentz says. It. He says it like this. Sometimes God will correct you by giving you your prayer request, okay? So just a little side note. Be careful what you dream for because God might just answer that request. So take it to the Lord. Make sense? So what is God doing today? He's reaching the one with love. This is our debt of love. And 10 years ago, when I started here at Tehila and First Assembly, I, uh, I had a, a conversation with a leader who was involved with Tehila. 
for many, many years and had seen Tehillah go through revival, signs, wonders. You know, a guy was raised from the dead, like literally raised from the dead. Um, it was amazing. This place was packed. There were lineups. The gym was complete. It was like full pre-service prayer was just packed. Like it was just buzzing. It was fire. It was amazing. But he said to me this when I had this conversation with him. He said, Michael, we had all the signs and the wonders, but we did not have love. I was like, oh man. And he said this, Tehillah's going back to that place of revival, but this time it's going to be based on love. And I'll never forget that. So, final passage. You ready for one, a few more verses? Everybody with me? All right. And I've got one more story. And then we'll get the band up here and we're going to sing and worship. It says this, Romans 13, 11 to 14, okay? But make sure you don't get absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over and dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. What is God doing? He's with the poor. He's with the broken. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed we can't afford Tehila. I'm throwing Tehila in there to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Amen. So how do we pay this debt called love? We reach the one. How do we stay awake to what God is doing? We reach the one. How do we dress ourselves in Christ like Paul is asking us to? We reach the one. How does revival come to Canada? We reach the one. How does the world sing a different song than it's been singing? We reach the one. Maybe it's free babysitting for a single parent that is on the verge of burnout. Maybe it's singing for senior citizens who are shut into their building and are needing a spiritual lift. Maybe it's sponsoring a child through the many incredible organizations that do wonderful work. You can find them online, Compassion, World Vision. Just name them one after the other. Amazing. We don't have to wait for this. This is now we can all love more. Amen? I'm in this too, guys, and... And uh, I got one story to share about loving the one, okay? I love this story so much. So there's this guy called Bobby Connor that I had the privilege of traveling with uh, many different conferences around the world. And he shares this story of reaching the one that I'll never forget. This blows my mind, okay? So he's invited to preach, or not sorry, he's invited to hang out, okay? So he's invited to hang out in the green room of this amazing conference where all these famous, famous ministers are hanging out, okay? So James, put yourself there. It's like, I don't know, like Mosaic calls you up and they're like, James, we want you to come to the green room, meet with you, you know, Erwin McManus, hang out with Mariah and Aaron, be so cool. So Bobby's on the way to hang out with Erwin McManus, so to speak, okay? And that's not who it was, but somebody like that. And he feels this prompting of the Lord saying, hey, Bobby, 
there's a guy at the back of the stadium tonight. I want you to go greet him and tell him that you're glad he's at the meeting. And Bobby's like, oh, I've been waiting. This is, I got to network, man. I got to just like flex a bit and, you know, give him a Tehillah album and say, check out what we're doing here. You know, it's not Tehillah, but you get, you get what I'm saying, right? So he goes in, he's making his way to the green room. And again, the Lord says, go to the back of the stadium. There's a man with a tattered cloak sitting on the very back row. I want you to go greet him and tell him that you're happy that he came to the meeting. Bobby again ignores the voice. He's like, no, I'm going. I'm going to go meet with the, with the big wigs. I'm going to go be a somebody. Again, the Lord says, no, go to the back of the room. Okay, so finally, he gets to the back of the room. And sure enough, at the back row, there's a person in the very back row in a tattered cloak. And Bobby's like, wow, there he is. So he goes, taps this person on the shoulder and says, sir, I'm glad that you came tonight. The person turns around with the eyes of eternity. It was the Lord himself. And he says, no, Bobby, I'm glad you came. If the Lord could show up for Paul, could he show up for Bobby? Yes. But imagine if he didn't obey that voice to meet the one person. He would have missed an encounter with Jesus. And some of us in this room, as, we, as the Lord leads us to remember the poor, we are going to have encounters with Jesus that we've never had before. Amen? We will be meeting the Lord. And it might not be Jesus himself, but we will be meeting the Lord. It says, when you give a drink of water, my name, you are giving me a drink. We need to get involved with what God is doing, and he is with the poor. Let's stand together. Lord, we just... We just honor your, your word tonight that you are encouraging us to remember the poor. Lord, I pray for encounters even this week with those, the, the rich, the poor, the, 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 sometimes the rich are the most broken people. It's not about just people who have no money. It's the poor in spirit too, Lord. Lead us to them and let us have the courage And the tenacity to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you even into the darkest places of this planet. So if if you're feeling this, I'm not going to give like a salvation call right now, but even just if everybody has to close their eyes, if you feel like God's saying, hey, I I need to be more with the poor or I, I just need to have this heart that's yielded to whatever God has, I just invite you to lift your hands and and just say this after me. Lord, here am I. Send me. Let my dreams be your dreams. Let your heart be my heart. We want to know you more, Lord. Here we are. Send us. Let Tehillah be known, Lord Jesus, as a place of refuge for the poor. Let our churches in Calgary be known as shining lights of faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, just say amen.
Amen. Okay, so he heard you tonight. He heard you. And I was in a meeting just like this, and my friend Corey, he was, he was saying, yeah, here I am. Here am I. And he went into the darkest countries in the world and just in like a meeting like this. I feel like God's going to call some of us in this place to do ridiculous things. Because we as, we as Christ followers have the right to dream ridiculous dreams. Okay? That's an important right as Christ followers. Dream big. But while you're dreaming, be with the poor because that's where God is. Amen? All right, let's sing this song.